Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right, LookUp listeners, welcome back to another episode of the LookUp podcast. It's me again, Mark, your host. Uh, Today is Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. And thank you to all of our veterans uh, for your service. Um, Actually, this weekend I met a former Army uh, captain who is here kind of training um, new potential recruits. And he shared some stories with me. And it's just you know, what you all go through, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, deserving of our celebration. Uh, so I hope you're getting some time and uh, thank you. Thank you all for your service. I, um, I hope everybody's getting time with their families. Uh, I just had the privilege of having another conversation on uh, non-fungible tokens or NFTs uh, and the metaverse with my friend uh, G Money NFT. He is uh, famous in the crypto space for becoming a pseudonymous identity represented by uh, one of the 25 uh, CryptoPunk apes. CryptoPunks were created by Larva Labs. They were one of the earliest NFT projects in the crypto space. And uh, G on this episode goes into a bit more of why he purchased this ape, why it became his identity. Um, he recently started a new venture fund with the team at Delphi Digital uh, and will be investing in NFT infrastructure for things beyond the digital art use case of non-fungible tokens. Uh, and we talk about that. We talk about his experience as an equities trader. Uh, we speak a bit about crypto communities and where they exist in the metaverse and how important it is for artists and creators to tap into those communities uh, and the crazy price run-up of NFTs leading up to the Beeple auction, uh, which sold $69 million in one NFT sale via Christie's. And just a lot of ground covered here. Uh, if you haven't realized from following along the newsletter and the podcast, I find this subject matter to be super interesting and fun. And I think that we're going to a future uh, in the metaverse. And so does G. So I'll let him do the talking from here on out, but appreciate you all following along, listening along. Uh, this is continues to be just a fun adventure for me. It's one of my greatest privileges to bring you this podcast, uh, for those of you that are still here and yeah, I just look forward to bringing more content, uh, over the coming weeks and months. So thank you. And without any further from me, this is G money NFT. G-Money, thanks for coming on the Look Up Podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, we were just saying this is first time having an in-person conversation on the show in like, I think maybe a year. So <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be interesting. I'm really excited about it. I think uh, for the listeners, like I, I find more comes out when we have conversations like this in person. Um, but, you know, it's going to be some cobwebs that we got to get off. 
mm-hmm. without all the zoom, without all the zoom mm-hmm. issues and, and shit. So, all right, well, thanks for coming on. I think we mentioned like, you know, obviously my listeners have heard about NFTs before. We've had a number of conversations, but they may or may not know G money. So I would love for you to just give a little bit about your background and how you ended up in this crazy world of crypto punks and non fungibles. Um, yeah, sure. So, um, my, my background is I come from traditional finance. I've been trading equities for, uh, over 15 years. And, uh, you know, I, I got involved in crypto in 2017 and, uh, you know, that was in, in April, 2017. I rode the, the middle to late stage cycle of that. And then, uh, in Q1 of 2018, I was like, blockchain tech is really good. And it's going to change the world. But, you know, using the dot com as like my parallel, I was like, this is still like five to seven years away at least. Right. Yeah. So I sold anything that I had that was liquid. And I was like, I'll be back. Um, in, <laughs> in 2020, I had. Good on you, man. <laughs> better, better than I did. I thought <laughs> I was going to keep going and going and going. I mean, I guess that was like the trader in me, right? Like I've seen enough. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I also. Uh, when I was really young, I was involved in, you know, like I, when I was like a teenager in high school, I invested some of like my money in, in the dot-com bubble back then. And I didn't sell anything back then. So it's like, you know, I kind of saw a lot of the similarities, right. Where it was like, you know, you have this game changing technology that was coming out, but like, you know, valuations got ahead of themselves, right? Like pets.com was a great idea in 1997, just like the market wasn't ready for it. Right? Like nobody was buying pet food online. You know, today Chewy's is a multi-billion dollar business, right? So um, yeah. to me, like that was kind of like what I saw. And so um, when I sold, when I sold my stuff, I was, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, just watching from afar. But then in, uh, in 2020, I had a couple projects that I invested in that were starting to unlock and they're like, you know, where, where should we send these tokens? And, you know, I started looking at like my wallet addresses that I hadn't looked at in a couple of years. And, uh, it's funny, like I, I found this SNX token <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, this is like free money. You know, it's trading 80 cents. I'm like, immediately sell it. Oh no. <laughs> a week later it gets listed on Binance. And like, I'm like, wait, this, this thing just 5X from where I sold it? What what just happened? Yeah, and 80 cents, <laughs> I think that's at like $17 now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's at like 8 now. I don't right. know. It's really volatile, yeah. but it's up there. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I sold it. Uh, and then like, you know, I converted to ETH and, you know, ETH doubled. And I'm like, whoa, like what's going on here? And then I just started looking at like all the protocols that were being built. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this is incredible. This happened way faster than I thought it would happen. Uh, and then I got involved in like the DeFi summer and it was like, kind of like, uh, cutting my teeth again, you know, getting back and getting back involved in, in all the stuff. And, and then I heard about NFTs over the summer, but I think I was just so, um, immersed in DeFi that I was like, all right, like I'm focused on DeFi. And then, uh, in the fall when DeFi slowed down, I was finding like, you know, it was like on my list for like weeks, right? Like look into NFTs. And uh, I finally like start looking into them and I go down the rabbit hole and uh, you know, this is where it's like, it was like right when I realized what, what NFTs were, yeah. it was because of Fortnite. You know what I mean? Like uh, I yeah. literally on the first day of, of quarantine, I bought a PlayStation. I hadn't played a video game in over 10 years. I download Fortnite. I started playing with my friends and their kids. 
and the first nice. question, not, not their kids, they're, they're nephews. <laughs> you know, their nephews are like 10, 11 years old. And uh, the first thing these kids ask me, they're like, what skins did you buy? I'm like, the skins don't give me any special powers. Like, I'm not buying any, right? Fast forward like two, three weeks, I'm buying like any kind of cool skin I can get my hands on. Yeah. But like, I realized then, and I did this before I knew what an NFT was, was like, there's going to be this massive super cycle of visual ownership because that kid is, you know, 10 years old today, but in 10 years, they're going to have their own disposable income yeah. and they're going to be totally okay with digital ownership for the same way that like, when you look at like, I guess my generation of like, you know, we grew up in like the consumer world, right? Where name brand this, name brand that. But when I talk to my parents about that, like they don't care about name brands. They're like, why are you paying, you know, $200 for a t-shirt when you can buy it for five bucks, right? Yeah, they don't get the yeah. Supreme kids. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, it's like the same type of thing. It's just a different evolution of it. And when I realized that, like, you know, on crypto Twitter, on Discord, on Telegram, that your profile picture mm-hmm. is your skin, right? And that, like, that's how you want to display yourself to the world. And then I saw that, like, the most OG people in the space you know, would have like crypto punks as their avatars, like the people, and maybe not just not in like crypto in general, but like within NFTs, you know, and like, they would be like, oh, you need a punk, you need a punk. As I'm like going down the rabbit hole on NFTs and I'm like, no, no, I want the next punks. Yeah. And then like, it just clicked for me. I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is my skin. And this is the equivalent of me buying like a Lambo or a Rolex or something, right? The same way that like, just because we're sitting in front of a computer screen yeah. doesn't mean that humans aren't going to be humans, right? Like humans like to display status. Humans uh, like to put themselves in a social pecking order, right? Like, and it could just be like just a- the animal kingdom in general. That's mm-hmm. the way the animals work because like there are plenty of animals that do the same thing. Uh, and like when that clicked for me, I was like, oh, this is this is an easy long, right? Because this is also like, to me, it's like a levered long on ETH, right? Like if I'm bullish on ETH, and, you know, why not own, like, the most grade A assets uh, that I possibly can, right? Because there will be more demand for that as ETH goes up. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like a, a long and winding road to get you to where you are today, as it kind of always seems to be. But in, in hindsight, it makes a ton of sense. Um, you said a lot of things in there, a lot of uh, phrases that I think, you know, it's always good to just, like, redefine for the listeners. So we've had a few guests talk about NFTs. Would you just share with the listeners kind of what is an NFT? What does that stand for? And, you know, you talk about digital ownership, like what does it, what do you think the potential of NFTs are? What does it mean to you? You kind of shared a little bit about that already, but. Yeah, sure. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, right, like uh, if you own one Bitcoin and I own one Bitcoin and we exchange our Bitcoins, we both have the same value, right? That's fungible. Uh, a non-fungible token, and like I always use like the real world example of like a t-shirt, right? It's like you're wearing a t-shirt right now, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. If we exchange our t-shirts, it's not necessarily the same value, right? Like there's different materials, different brands, wear and tear that will determine what the value of each of our shirts is. Yeah. So that means it's non-fungible. That's what makes it non-fungible, right? So when you transfer that over to like a token, right? Everything in the world is non-fungible for the most part, right? Like, you know, except for cash, right? Everything is non-fungible. So realizing that just shows you like the massive opportunity set that we have in front of us, right? Because like, to your point is like, what does this mean for ownership going forward in like the digital world? It's like, 
you know, if you can prove digital ownership on chain by owning this scarce asset, then like, you know, you can finance it, you can trade it, you can sell it, you can lease it. Like all the things that happen in the real world start coming on chain with digital assets and eventually like digital and physical assets. Yeah. And I think I, I, I like to think about um, kind of we spend dollars where, where our attention flows. And as you said, like these 10 or 11 year old kids and even you know older and even younger now are in places like Fortnite and Roblox living in these virtual worlds, playing games with their friends and their attention is there 50% plus of the time, right? Like when I was playing video games, when I was like eight to 15 or, you know, even older, if I had had the ability to buy stuff in game, I mean, sorry, mom and dad, like it would have been bad, you know? And, uh, and so I imagine these, you know, these kids and, and will grow into adults and many adults as well who are play, who are gaming like yourself and I game still on occasion, um, we'll spend our dollars where our attention is. So we live in these virtual worlds. We spend 50 plus percent of our mental attention in virtual worlds. And I consider virtual worlds like Instagram, Twitter. Oh yeah. You know, sure. like we're on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Too much. I mean, I'm people, yeah. too much. people ask me, they're like, what's the metaverse? I, like, you know, what, you know, when mm-hmm. do you think the metaverse comes? And I'm like, the metaverse is here, right? Like, yes. you know, it's a two dimensional version of it, but like communities are being formed online, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. Discord, Telegram, where people are interacting. Like I've had interactions, transactions, uh, friendships made with people whose names, I don't know their real name, right? Like, yeah, you know, we've done deals on uh, like a virtual handshake, right? Where, you know, the only thing on the line is our reputation, right? And like how that would affect us within the community. And like, that's like the metaverse, right? Like it's this community forming online. And like, I don't know, it makes me really your favorite. What's your favorite like metaverse platform where you spend most of your time? Are you on, is it Twitter or is it Discord? I'd say right now, I mean, it's really a trio between Telegram, Discord, yeah. and Twitter. Because that's where, like, crypto lives. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a combination of all three. Like, I mean, maybe, I think maybe a couple of days would be one over the other. But I generally, I mean, it, it is, it's. I haven't <laughs> figured it, like, honestly, I have not figured out Discord. Because every Discord channel has all the sub channels and like in and of itself, each one of them are their own little metaverses. So like Discord is like a multiverse. Yeah. You know, like Twitter, like it's like you have your feed Mm -hmm. and so it's all kind of on one platform. Telegram, you have all sorts of channels, but like then there's not necessarily like sub channels within those channels. Right. And so it's only like a multi, a one to many communication channel. But like Discord is like, I guess it's many to many communication on Telegram, but like many to many on Discord, but then like all these like concentric circles, like a Russian doll, right. you know? Yeah. And I always feel like I'm just continually peeling back the layer of the <laughs> onion on Discord and like I'm never going to find the center. Right. Yeah, no, it, it's Insane. funny. It's funny you say that because it's like, I think I'm, I'll go on Twitter for like my general news feed, mm-hmm. right? And then if I really want to dig into something, I'm like, oh, like, that's probably being talked about in this discord, right? And then mm-hmm. I'll just go in there or like, that's who do I know that would be talking about this? And then I'll go in there. I'm like, oh, and like, then I get caught up on like the more granularity, right? Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, and, and like from like an alpha standpoint, you know, in the crypto space, it seems like discord is, has become for those that are willing to navigate this mayhem, the spot to like find new trends and, you know, to get real detailed information from people and and in the metaverse for some reason i mean i feel like people are more willing to share 
you know? I think, like, I mean, that's, like, it makes me so bullish on humanity. Yeah. Um, and I know that, like, people are always, like, oh, like, super bearish on humanity. It's like, oh, you know, like, you know, the, the police state and, like, all these things that are, like, coming down the road uh, that, you know, the dystopian future that everyone yeah. always projects. But, like, the way I see people interact on, like, like especially in Discord and, like, the NFT community is, like, people are, like, super helpful, right? Like, people are, you know, when I got into punks, like, people, like, spent time, like, explaining to me why I wanted a zombie over, like, a floor punk, right? And, like, they weren't, like, trying to show me their bags so they can sell them to me. They're, you know, because they were all, like, long-term holders. Like, they were like, ah, I don't know if I want to sell you my, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, but... um I don't know. It just like, it makes me the fact that people are openly helping each other. And I think this, I've talked about this in crypto in general, where there's some sort of psychological shift where I think people that have been long enough in crypto switch from a uh, uh, scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset, right? Where they're like, the more I help you, the more I'm going to benefit from it. Whereas... I think like today in society, we're, we're taught from a very young age, right? Like that's a zero sum game, yeah. you know? And like, I think the thing that the coolest part I think about crypto is that it's like, you know, by helping others, you're helping yourself. And like, it's kind of increases that circle, right? Like the flywheel effect. For sure. I mean, and with all these protocols, like we're so early days, mm-hmm. you know, it's still such a small community, even though there's probably over a million. I mean, I don't know the latest numbers on MetaMask, but it's a couple of million wallets, I think, at this point. So, like, you know, the space is too large to know everyone. Right. And it wasn't always like that. Like, mm-hmm. three years ago, four years ago, you know, there was, like, tens of thousands of people, maybe. And you could see them all at every conference <laughs> right. together. And that was cool. But it's interesting. Like, one thing, one reason I love talking about Metaverse and NFTs on, on LookUp is because I think LookUp started with this kind of, like, dystopian take on technology and you know, like how social media is having a negative impact on our mental health and on our culture and our politics. And when I talk to people in the NFT and metaverse world, I actually get more of the opposite. So my friend Ryan Gill, who, if you don't know, you should definitely meet him, um, creating an identity solution in the metaverse called Crucible. He, he told me, I never heard of this before, but they're called solar punks. So you have basically like um, cypherpunks who are kind of, you know, hacker, underground hackers, basically, that believe that there's a dystopian future and they need to kind of prepare for that future. And then there are solar punks who believe in actually like a utopian future in the digital world. And um, when I when I speak to people like you and Ryan and Gabby from YGG, I'm just like, yeah, like for some, maybe it's because virtual worlds are truly abundant. Like, yes, we're creating digital scarcity, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what NFTs are, but like there's an abundance of, of discord channels you can go into or metaverses that you can play in or within those metaverses worlds or people that you can meet. It's not, it doesn't feel scarce. And so maybe that's why, you know, like it kind of does flip the trigger from zero sum to abundance. Yeah. I mean, I I think, yeah, I, I think it's that, but then also probably just like the cycle of crypto of us being so early, right. Where it's like, you know, by helping the protocol, I'm, I'm helping myself, right? And, you know, I, I always use this example where it's like, as, you know, me being one person, how can I have an impact on the world? Like my best, my biggest impact on the world. And like, yeah. you know, coming from equities, I look at like, you know, if I had a hundred million dollars worth of Tesla stock and I had 
the solution to like, you know, hydrogen power or, you know, like everlasting power, I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody on the board of directors at Tesla and give them my solution, right? Like it would be very difficult because they're like, oh, you don't have enough money. Right? Like, you're, you're not talking to Elon Musk. Like, million <laughs> but like, and that's crazy. It's hundred million dollars. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. But you go into, um, I could have like some, some idea on some protocol that's being built and I could have one token. I have no tokens. I can sign into a discord and I can hit up the team and I can have a conversation. And I, this has happened to me where like, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, your, your mechanism for this is, is dumb. Like, this is what I suggest. And then like, I will engage mm-hmm. with the team and they will tell me, tell me like why they did what they did. And like, you know, they ultimately, like most of the time they usually prove it. And I'm like, all right, that makes sense to me now. But like, I'm engaging with the founders, right? Where it's like, maybe I had a good idea. I don't, just because I have more money doesn't necessarily make me smarter, right? Mm. You know, like you could have a great idea and have, you know, no tokens and something, right? So to me, it's like, I think that that's like the really cool part. Whereas like, you can have this lasting impact on humanity down the road. Like if that protocol becomes something huge that everybody uses from like your simple suggestion, signing into a Discord and like talking to the founding team. Yeah, I think... I think something about crypto that's maybe, you know, driving this is like, is like the, it's almost like crypto makes a mockery of the concept of money. We talk about whales. We, we do kind of still partake in those human games, as you said, of like status and, oh, this person's a whale or that person like has, you know, that many SNX tokens and people are sizing each other up and, you know, it is only human. But at the same time, like, Watching the ability for some, you know, eighteen-year-old Anon to to print his own currency essentially and like mint himself multiple millions of of U.S. dollar value online, I think makes you realize just how subjective value is. And when value is subjective, then you, we realize like, oh, money is actually not that important. Yes, it's important. We want to live life. We want to make money, but like it becomes less of a status symbol and participation um, becomes more of a status symbol. And I I have a bunch of names in the back of my mind right now that I'm thinking of who I'm just like, this person has a sterling reputation and that allows them to get into any deal that they want. That allows them to, you know, to basically like everyone wants to, wants them on their cap table. Everyone wants to talk to them. They can participate in protocols and, you know, that in and of itself is is probably a more valuable currency in this world. And when I tie that back to your ape and kind of punks and this idea of like scarce identity and even pseudonymity in the crypto world, um, it makes sense to me how how we're kind of maybe going to play out from here. I want to just step back because we kind of started speaking about punks before we really mentioned like, what is a punk? What is a crypto punk? We talked about NFTs. So like your, you know, your claim to fame in the crypto community started off with, you know, the purchase of one of these crypto punks. So maybe you can explain for the listeners, like what are they and why they're important? All right, cool. So crypto punks uh, were made by Larva Labs in 2017. They were free to play. They were, uh, yeah, all you had to do was pay for the gas. Which at that time, gas was like $5. Yeah, like not even, right? (laughs) So um, they were free to claim. They took like maybe like, I think a month to sell out. Like they didn't sell out immediately. 
And, um, you know, there was a small community that built around them and, you know, it happened really organically. And like, you know, there's some like OGs in the space that had been around since like the first day. Right. And like they built like a great community around them. Right. So there's only 10,000 of them that were ever made. Okay. They no no two are alike. So they all have like different traits of those 10,000. Only nine of them are aliens. 25 of them are apes and 88 of them are zombies. The rest are humans, split between male and female. Okay, cool. So there's this, like, pyramid of scarcity. Yeah. Which is aliens, apes, zombies, humans from top to bottom. Yeah. And within each of those categories, there's other traits, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and so then, like, there'll be, like, you know, different scarcity uh, numbers on each of those traits, right? Which creates uh, different values. And is there is there a way to... Um, do people have like formulas for valuing uh, CryptoPunks relative to one another based on these traits? Or I know people are working on it, um, mm-hmm. but like I think it's kind of like a, a soft science at this point. Where you know, like you know, if you, I, I even remember when I first got involved, like you know, people were valuing because an alien hadn't traded for like I don't know a really long time, right? Uh, when I got involved, so people were like, you know, like oh well, an alien might be worth between like. 800 and a million based on like the last sale of a zombie right yeah and so um people people will sit there and like they'll be like all right well if the floor punk is trading in here then this one is much more scarce and this should be trading here and, and stuff like that but there hasn't been i know people i, I think there's enough volume in punks that people yeah. can create some sort of formula because punks i think are like pretty liquid um for being a non-fungible token uh but yeah i, I know people are working on it so, I mean, do you think that there's, I mean, and then of course each one's unique. So there is a subjectivity. Like when I picked out my punk, you know, I, I chose a floor punk or a little bit above a floor punk, but like essentially there was like hundreds to choose from that were available for sale. And I just picked one that kind of resonated with me. Right. And I have no idea if it's more valuable than the next one. Right. right. But like it, it will be determined by someone else's perception of the value. And so, and so you, you went ahead and you dove into kind of, as you were going to NFTs, you ended up in Larva Labs Discord, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, the punks were, another thing about punks is they were like one of the first NFTs ever created. Yeah. They're like, so I don't think they were the first NFT mm-hmm. on Ethereum, but they were the first NFT of significance where, you know, a community formed around them. Mm-hmm. It was super organic. Uh, and like the community just built over time and it like snowballed into to what it is today. And it's crazy because like people talk about the scarcity of Bitcoin as 21 million Bitcoin ever minted. You know, there's some lost tokens. So maybe there's 18 million and then punks, there's 10,000. Yeah. It's right? a deflationary asset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and so what kind of, I, I mean, you, you talked about it a little bit, but like, when did you decide to pull the trigger on your first purchase of a punk? Was it your first NFT purchase and um, kind of maybe walk the listeners through the mechanics if you're open to share like values and things like that and like why you perceived that this value was actually reasonable given where this is all going? So I was, I was in the NFT space for like three months at that point, something like that. I bought my first punk. It was a zombie. I bought from Nate Alex in December uh, for like about twenty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, yeah, and like the and punk, like I said, like when I first got into NFTs, I was going down the rabbit hole and I was like, 
I don't, and people would be like, and wait, I have to pause for a second. Sorry to interrupt. I said, wow, $20,000 is a lot of money. But I was actually saying, wow, because of where those assets are valued today. Like, what is a zombie trade for today? So that zombie uh, sold uh, two weeks ago for $1.4 million. Something like that. Unreal. So $20,000 to $1.4 million in six months. Six months. And of course, like that is not an endorsement to listeners to go out and spend money on these punks because they're going to appreciate in value necessarily. Mm -hmm. These assets are volatile. Very disclaimer. They they move in cycles, right? But still, like that is just that's tremendous. So okay, so you spend twenty thousand dollars on this. So what ended up happening was when I got into NFTs, I was looking, I was looking for the next punks because I think the floor punk at that time was like fifteen hundred bucks, and I was like, I'm not spending fifteen hundred bucks on this NFT because I had a certain amount that I wanted to put in NFTs as a whole. Yeah, so, you know, so yeah, not least, just in the, the assets not, themselves, yeah. but in like the infrastructure being built. No, I wasn't even looking at it at that point. Okay, because right? I was just like learning. You know, I was like, to me, when I got into NFTs, the first I read like three books on the contemporary art market, like Got immediately it. within like a week and a half, because I'm like. I need to understand how the contemporary art market works in order to understand how the NFT market will work. What was the what was the most influential one of those books that you read? Um, I, I think it's like the Ten Million Dollar Shark. That's like that. the one. I, yeah. That's and the I one think I told you about it. my mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, yeah, like I was just kind of like going from project to project. I listened to a bunch of podcasts, and uh, I was, you know, I started off buying like. Squiggly by Nate Alex, and then I started buying like uh, Chromey Squiggles by Arclox, and I would go in and I would buy like let's say like all right, I want to spend five thousand bucks on this project, so I'd go in and I'd like sweep the floor, and people would be like, who is this guy? Like, who's this whale? Like, you know, because like five thousand bucks, you know, back in like the fall, like that was like a big position. So like I'd be talking to people, and they're like, my one piece of advice is don't put all your money in one project. I'm like. I'm like, I'm, you know, to myself, I'm like, I'm not, like, I'm planning on spreading it out. And so, you know, and people would be like, oh, you should buy punks. And I kept being like, no, no, no. And then once you felt punks were stale, right? Like, no, I, I just felt like I missed punks, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, I missed it. Like, I want to find the next punks, right? Like, always have that we all have, right? Like, yeah. anytime you see something go up by like 10x, you're like, oh, like, I missed it. Like, I yeah. want to find the next 10x, right? So, you know, one day, I uh, I was I found out about Art Blocks okay. and uh, it was it's Snowfro's project right it's a generative art platform mm-hmm. and so his initial project he's a he's a and a, he's a punk's OG so yeah. he created ten thousand Chromy Squiggles first project on his platform and they were like mid- what's what's his name Snowfro Snowfro and you've already mentioned like three different major artists in the NFT space so we're gonna have to drop those in the show notes <laughs> for people to follow for sure. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I, one day, like, I can't find the Discord. I originally was going to try to find the Discord because there were 10,000 of them at the time. Uh, I think only, like, 17, 1,800 were minted. And I couldn't find the Discord because I want to do a mass mint because I'm like, I don't want to sit here and press mint for, like, an hour. And so then, like, I started looking at the thing. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go on a mass minting spree. So I just start minting for, like, an hour and a half straight. And then, like, when I'm done minting, like I'm on Discord, like going through other things, and like somebody like messaged me. What does it mean to mint? Um, I was just claiming. I was just claiming the the thing. So the way the way our blocks works is, so when punks were claimed, right, mm. uh, all the punks were made, and you can see which ones you bought. 
right? Mm-hmm. So you could be like, I want to buy this one, I want to buy that one, and they were all the same price. Mm-hmm. What um, because Snowfro was one of the people that initially claimed punks, he was like, this would be way cooler and way know. where way more fair of an experience, right? Mm-hmm. If like you minted and you didn't know what you were getting, like it was like opening a pack of baseball cards, right? Yeah, we all get like the same price, we all have the same odds, but you press it and then you don't know what you're getting, right? Cool. So that was kind of the basis for this. So platform. to mint is essentially just look physically, you're clicking a button on the platform and saying, yeah. create, it's create yeah. this asset. It's already pre-created, but then it's like an unboxing experience. Right. It goes from a question mark image to... Well, I think, I think on Artblocks, it's created when you mint it. Oh, it is created yeah. when you mint it. Oh, interesting. That's so cool. that's like the cool thing about Artblocks. Yeah. And so I was mint, I was literally minting for like an hour, hour and a half straight. Then afterwards, I go into Discord to like check other Discords and somebody sends me the Discord link to Artblocks. And so I'm like, oh, great. Like, I was trying to find this before. So I go in there and I saw it because, like, they, they show you... They, there's a feed that has, like, all the mints as, like, they start going through. And I saw, like, people were going insane. They were like, oh, my God, who is this guy that's, like, minting this? Like, he just minted through, like, 300 in a row. And I, like... And I, <laughs> I, I minted, like... Because also, like, the numbers, right? Like, I was minting, like the 19th, the 20th, and the 21st centuries. And I'm like, oh, maybe like these things are significant for like the years, you know, 1945, you know, significant years uh, in history. So I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mint through all of these. And like, people were like minting, like people were like, think that they thought they had time to like mint, but like, I just came in and just minted everything. And people were like, how many? Uh, I minted, I think in total, I might have like 250 or 350 of the Chromie Squiggles. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I was just like minting through a bunch of them because I was like, dude, like I, I want to allocate a certain percentage. And, you know, at the time I think they were like... And there weren't as many NFT projects at that time. No, they weren't. Um, certainly not from like reputable artists that right. had built over time relationship with the community of collectors. Mm-hmm. Right. So like... For you, it's like, this is a quality project. I'm yeah, it was a quality project. I was asking around about it. People were pulled up on it. And so then, like, after that, people were like, oh, you're this whale. And then literally, like, everyone, after that, everyone was like, you need to buy a punk. You need to buy a punk. Like, like just, live, like, here, go into Larder Labs. We will red pull you on punks. And then I was, like, in there for, like, a week, week and a half. And I was like, all right. And then at that point, I was like, all right, I bought my zombie. Uh, and then I was just waiting for an ape, right? Like, you know, you know, the ape, I thought the, the alien I was going to be priced out of was too, too much, uh, too high from what I wanted to spend. Uh, but I was like, all right, if I can find a good deal on an ape, I'm going to buy an ape. Mm-hmm. And then I was just waiting at that point. For and, what, and what was a good deal for you at that time? Um, like if I wanted to, like, I was like, I, I would have liked to have gotten an ape for like a hundred grand. Okay. And because was, apes are more scarce than zombies. Than you zombies, got a zombie yeah. for 20 grand. You know, figure it's how many zombies did you say there are? 88. 88. And there's 25 apes? There's 25 apes. Yeah. 25 apes. Okay. So it's like so, one f- le- less than like between one fourth and one fifth. Well, also like the price was going up too, right? And the price so, was rising. So it was like, yeah. you know, I was sitting there and like. But know, even just based on that, you're talking about like, you know, 80K to 100K without the price rising. Right. Between yeah. zombie and ape. Just based you know, on like pure scarce. And like they're scarce and like nobody, everyone that. Mm-hmm that has them like has diamond hands right so they're like i'm not giving this away how did you get someone to sell it to you um there was it was a son diamond of my hands <laughs> they don't sell they, <laughs> there, they there hold was this guy forever. there was like this guy um eve also looked like it was about to break out right like this was the beginning of the year in january so like eve was like starting to run 
So, and like, again, like when I bought my, part of the, re, part of the way I got my zombie uh, was because ETH was starting to break out of like 500 or 600 at the time. So the seller yeah. was like, oh, well, I'd rather be long ETH. And still at this point, like, you know, it still exists today where people are like, oh, this will never outperform ETH, mm-hmm. right? And part of my thesis was, I think AAA assets will outperform ETH, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're basically buying a call option on ETH. So like, to me, it's like the reflexivity of that trade it's like a mispriced call option, right? Like I'm not, you don't have to deal with time decay, but then also it's like, you're going to get that reflexivity on the upside. Time decay. Uh, on a, on a call option, when yeah. you buy, when you buy an option, you're immediately like fighting against the clock, right? Because there's an expert yeah. on the option. Right. But when you say it's like a call option, what you're saying is that it gives you asymmetric upside yep. with a floor on the downside. Exactly. But in this case, you're, you have an infinite time horizon, which means that like the yeah. premium should actually be a lot higher. Exactly. You should be paying a lot more, but exactly. people don't realize that. So, exactly. So that was kind of like the way I saw it. And I was like, all right, because, because the way I, the way I was looking at it is like at the end of last cycle, right. Yeah. People were always saying when Lambo, when Lambo, right. Yeah. And I was like, I think at the end of this cycle, people will be saying when, when pumped, when pumped, right. Yeah. And that it's already started already, right? But at the time in December when I was buying these things, yeah. like, you know, no, like it would have been like insane to say something like that. I mean, I had Justin Blau on the show in November mm-hmm. and it was like right around the time that Audius launched and Justin's an advisor to Audius and he and I were talking about NFTs and, you know, he did his SSX Blau drop, the mm-hmm. Slime Sunday Blau collaboration. And I remember just, we were just, ecstatic giggling because he had made, I think 70 K in November on like in a day on like selling a bunch of NFTs. And it's just crazy, right? Like if you were there buying punks, he was there minting, you know, new NFTs. And I don't think anyone could have imagined what was going to come next over, you know, the first quarter. I mean, we went to, I think you were on the site when people did his drop mm-hmm. on, I guess it was Nifty Gateway. Yeah. You know, and I was there and I was foolish because I got somehow like, didn't figure out the UI and was like, ah, oh, it's like too ETH. Like, I don't really want to do this. Right. Just got lazy and moved on. And the, um, for those listeners that don't know, I mean, like Blau went on to do another issuance, I think in February or March, yeah, February. February um, right around the time of the Beeple auction at Sotheby's and Christie's. 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 I always get them mixed up. And Blau did, we went from 70K being incredible because this is a, a producer who needs to tour to make money, um, like most musicians. And there's no touring because it's COVID. And you're making nothing all year. Your income stream is just cut off from you. And then you go, you being Justin Blau, go in and create these digital assets. And you make 70 grand, which is like, you know, whatever. It's like at that, I don't know how much he makes for a show, but it's somewhere like that. And then fast forward to February and he did in one day, I think 11 and a half million dollars or something crazy. Yeah, something crazy like that. And fast forward from the time you're buying this, this ape now in December, right? Well, I bought the, the ape in January. In January. Okay. And so that was still even like, right? Like things were just about to take off and maybe your ape purchase in some way created some level of reflexivity. Well, yeah. I, so I thought about that too, right? Cause it's like, you know, I, I purchased my ape. I think I had like 50 followers on Twitter and I created a Twitter thread on why I spent so much money on my ape. I remember this one. And people were 
you know, calling me an idiot. Like I saw, I saw myself pop up in like Lobster Dow and people like this idiot. And I'm like, like, and so Lobster Dow is one of those communities in Telegram that we were talking about earlier. Um, Yeah. And like, and they don't hold punches in there. (laughs) And, and so like, I think, you know, what, what happened, I think was inevitable. It was definitely going to happen, but I think I threw a lot of gasoline on that fire. Right? Yeah. I think I was able to explain it in a way that started making sense to people. Uh, and since then, obviously, you know, you know, at that time, like people were making fun of me, you know, I could right click save. And now, you know, people are spending eight, nine figures. Well, I don't think nine figures yet, but eight, Not figures, nine figures, yet. eight figures on an NFT and nobody's questioning it for the most part. Yeah. I mean, people, I think, what was the end price for the people auction in February? Like 69, 69-ish million. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and that was wild. And of course, you know, I want to talk about cycles too. So you mentioned, you mentioned reflexivity. You're, you've been an equities trader. Now you're, you know, an NFT investor. Um, and also you speculate on NFTs too. I think there's an element of that. Um, reflexivity, you mentioned it twice. Like, can you just describe reflexivity for the listeners? Um, so yeah, succinctly. So- <laughs> um, so basically, I mean, it's, it's a theory kind of made famous by George Soros. Uh, and it's it just talking about like it deals at the at the core of its essence it deals with uh, market manias and like you know how you can get into a hype cycle and then you know people getting caught long at the top and then what leads into like a downward bear market right and so it's like you know you obviously as an investor you want to be caught on the front side of that curve right catch something early ride the wave but then also you don't want to be buying the top and like getting caught into that downward so that to me is like in the most simplest terms of what I kind of use to think about reflexivity. Interesting. And so, so there you are in January, you spent a hundred thousand dollars to buy this ape. And, um, not only did you buy it though, like something else switched for you because you were no longer your traditional name. Maybe were you always pseudonymous on Twitter? Like, Oh no, 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 it wasn't. But like, you know, and I, I spoke to like a couple people, uh, in the space because I have a couple, a lot of friends in the space and I was asking them for their advice. Like, do I go pseudo anon or do I go pseudo slash non anon, pseudo slash anon or uh, non anon? And, you know, the general consensus was to go anon. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, it wasn't necessarily like I, I act anonymous, on meaning anonymous, fully anonymous. Yeah. Like, don't even, you know, and like, I, the thing don't is, don't have any digital presence that associates you with the buyer of these assets. Right. And so like, to me, it's like, I I think it's really hard to stay super, uh, full and non. Um, but I always act, I always act as if I will, I I think I I will get doxxed at some point. So I act as if I am doxxed, right? Like, you know, I only have one, it's, you mentioned it before. It's like, I only have one reputation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm going to be like a scumbag, right? Like I'm going to be treated like a scumbag. Right. And so like, to me, it's like, I act as if like I had my real name on there, which is why I think I have a pretty good reputation in the industry. Mm. And like, I operate under the assumption that I will be doxxed at some point. And so you buy this, this ape and you post, this is why I bought this ape, but then the ape becomes your identity. Yeah. So like, let's talk about that. Like what was, what went into the decision of like, all right, like, I'm going to become G Money NFT. I'm going to become this ape. Well, okay. So one of the uh, one of the thoughts that went into me buying the ape was in the 2017 cycle. 
when it became really hard to get into deals, uh, you had to kind of sell yourself to the founder, right? Like, this is why you want me to invest because money's cheap. Everybody has money, right? Yeah. At that point, right? Like, I had, I was like, oh, well, like, I'm a smart Wall Street guy. Like, you know, like, let me invest, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah, okay. You know, because people love Wall Street right. guys. And so, um, what I decided was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build a brand around this, right? Like, even if, let's say, I lose money on this trade, if it gets me access to a couple deals um, that I otherwise wouldn't have had access to, it will be worth it, right? Like a couple protocols, because like, and I think that like I was unique in the sense that I was one, of, maybe one of the first people from looking at NFTs as like a financial asset, being like, oh, like this is big, right? Because a lot of the early people that were involved in the space, a lot of them were creators, right? So, you know, they were using uh, their success in NFTs to start their own projects, to make their own NFTs. And like, I was looking at it, it was like, oh, like there's going to be like hyper final, financial financialization here, right? Yeah. And like, there's, there's going to be a major new asset class coming from this and there's going to be infrastructure that's needed for it, right? It's mm-hmm. like whether, you know, today it's art, tomorrow it's a car loan or a mortgage or a house or whatever. Like these things will come on chain and that infrastructure needs to start getting built now. So I was looking at it and I'm like, all right, even if I lose money on the actual purchase of the pump itself, mm-hmm. I think I will make that up uh, being able to uh, create a brand for myself and get into like the deals that I think would be the most impactful. When you say car loans and things like that, like, can you just explain what you mean by like bringing them on chain? Yeah. So it's like, I think the, um, because I think this is broader potential for NFTs that people don't think about. Right. Just think like, Oh, digital art, you know? So like the way I see it is like, and I use like mortgage backed securities as the best example, right? Like everybody knows what mortgage backed securities are because of like the housing crisis we had in 2007 that brought the world to its knees, right? Part of the reason that was such a big, big issue was because the people were rehypothecating these loans, right? Like, you know, I was making a trade with you and then I was making a trade with somebody else. There was no central counterparty. So, oops, like I don't have enough, I don't have enough collateral to pay everybody when things go against me, right? That's the essence of kind of what happened. If that all existed on chain, you wouldn't really have that issue because all that, all the, all those things would be happening on chain in real time. Make and you can't like you can't put collateral at multiple places. This happened with with uh, Archivos, right? Like literally, like a month, two months ago, yeah. where uh, he big, was, there was a massive hedge fund that blew up. Yep, he lost fifteen billion dollars in about you know four days, something like that, right? And no one knew how much that fund, how much systemic risk that fund was creating for the system. Exactly. Right. Because yeah. And like, you know, he was posting collateral like Goldman posting collateral credit Swiss at Morgan Stanley. And they didn't realize that they were all giving him loans on the same collateral. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is like the essence of what happens on chain, right? Like you can't post collateral multiple times, right? You know, and like, to me, it's like you make, that makes the best case for bringing as much of this stuff on chain as possible, right? Because you have a centralized ledger. People can't post collateral multiple times. So like you kind of decrease that systemic risk, right? So to me, it's eventually at some point, all these mortgages will come on chain or it, it just assets in just general. Any, any kind of like contract mm-hmm. that has a fixed term or specific um, Specific terms, right? That are different. Each one right. is different. Uh, an insurance contract, you said. Right. A mortgage. 
um, a term loan, you know, this is a five-year loan with this interest rate, you know, because um, like backed by this asset, whatever. because like every contract is an NFT, right? Yeah. But most, most contracts are very similar, right? Like people will use like templates and be like, yes. Hey, like, you know, every 30 year mortgage is obviously different, but they're all 30 year mortgages that give you a same amount of interest rate, a relatively same amount of interest rate. Yep. So you pull all those things together to diversify your risk. Boom. You have a mortgage backed security. Right. Exactly. There's no reason that can't be on chain or won't be on chain. And, and, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's not, there's still challenges with the quote unquote off chain assets coming on chain. There's things like liquidation. Um, you know, like what happens if somebody goes bankrupt and there's, their mortgage has been moved around through the blockchain like 10 times and like who has claim on that? How do they claim it? Because there has to be like legal support as well. So, Mm -hmm. but it's super interesting. I think, I think there's a ton of potential. And of course, you know, now um, going back to kind of the previous conversation around like pseudonymity, reputation um, in the NFT world when it comes to like digital art and collectibles, uh, you know, you, when you, when you um, purchased the ape, it was before there was a real celebrity in the space. Like people was a known artist in the digital world. Um, you know, he obviously had the 5,000 days, like he had been creating something new every day. He was well-known, you know, obviously like, and well-deserving, right? Because he's been grinding on this for multiple years and, you know, just like focused on his craft and good on him for getting compensated for that. But this was before the wave of celebrity that entered the space. Right. And so then we had this like massive wave of celebrity offerings. So like the weekend, the Kings of Leon, Paris Hilton, Mm -hmm. Edward Snowden, you know, anyone that was celebrated in society would would want to launch an NFT um, and CAA and WME and all, UTA and all these places launched NFT departments. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, inevitably, I think for most of us watching, the prices started to correct downwards again. And I right. wanted to focus on this. So like the NFT bubble, quote unquote, has seemingly burst this, this, like, what do you think about that? Where are we in the overall, because obviously you and I are both bullish on the long term, but like, where are we in the, in the hype and price cycle for NFTs? And like, where do we go from here? So, I mean, I think it's just like, you need to be really discerning about what you buy, right? The same way that's like, you know, if you're putting something in your portfolio, whether it's a stock or a token, you know, you want to be investing in stuff that, you know, and everybody says this in crypto is like, you can't fork your community, right? You can't fork your community. So it's like, if I'm a celebrity and I'm just going to do a drop, that's basically a cash grab, sell it, you know, sell a collectible to these people. Like that's not really doing much for the community, right? Like for my fans, for my number one fans, the people that are most likely to buy my things are my biggest diehard fans. And I want to, I want to lean into that because like, uh, actually, this was the other intention of the question was like a lot of these celebrity offerings didn't work out. And I think one thing you realized was like, you know, the importance of the communities around these assets and these artists and issuers, mm-hmm. you know, like we were talking about discord. Um, there's also clubhouse. Like, what do you think of kind of the clubhouse effect in the NFT market and how important is it if we have artists that are listening? Cause there may be artists listening, you know, like, how important is it to, to get in front of like the quote unquote community of NFT collectors? How big is that universe um, of collectors and how, you know, how can one break into that world? 
Um, I think, you know, also I'm asking a shit ton of questions. Yeah. One question. Yeah. So I'm sorry. <laughs> First in person in a long time. I'm trying to hone the excitement here, man. Uh, Take it one so at yeah. a time. So I, I think like Clubhouse is obviously a great tool to use. Yeah. You know, I think that's uh, a fun way for people to engage uh, directly with, uh, with the creators and the celebrities, right? Like I think the beautiful thing about NFTs is that it allows the creator to kind of cut out the middlemen and have a more intimate experience with their fans and their collectors, right? And that's to me is like the beautiful thing of like the creator economy that NFTs allows. And so it's like, part of it is like, how do you harness that, right? Like initially the first wave was, okay, I'm just gonna drop, you know, either art or music or like an art music collab and my collectors will have it and they can, you know, put it on their digital screens and, you know, that's, Cool, right, and that was the first wave, and I think that that's what uh, we just saw that that bubble pop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what you're going to start seeing more in the future, and this will be represented either through social tokens or through NFTs themselves, is like you know the the owner of this NFT gets some sort of experience, right, once a year mm-hmm. for like the next couple years or for eternity or whatever it is, right, yeah. to kind of give some sort of residual value there, right, where it's like. If I'm a diehard fan of this, let's say, band. Gary V could yeah. even be like a good example. Gary V did, it, Gary he did a really good job. He did a really good job yeah. where it's like there were these experiences that are linked to these NFTs so that like you weren't just buying a picture. You were buying like a pass to a conference, a an experience of, uh, you know, I think one of them was courtside seats uh, to watch the Knicks for a couple of years with them. Right. Where you get these great experiences that, you know, you would pay money for, but it's like it's on chain and it's verifiable that you're the wallet owner. And so like you can't forge it. Right. But it allows Gary to communicate more closely and interact closer with his fans, which is ultimately like the goal. Right. Like you don't want to just like do like, quote unquote, pump and dumps on your biggest fans because like the people that are the most likely to buy and spend large amounts of money are your heart are your more hardcore fans. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I um I think, you know, there was a influx of new issuance mm-hmm. which was going to create like a this supply glut that would lead to prices declining. And you and I spoke about it, you know, before and mm-hmm. it happened very fast. But I think that we are seeing like quality projects that have intention behind them, like people pleaser, mm-hmm. right? And um the Edward Snowden drop uh, because of where that those dollars were going and what it represented as like a pivotal moment for, you know, for well, also, rights on the internet. I totally agree. And like, I think from the collectible side, right? Like you, you're seeing like the proliferate, pro- proliferation of communities that like are building, right? And that have the most, like, I think Board Ape Yacht Club is like one of like yeah. the best new viral communities out there, right? Where like those guys are engaging and like they're building like cool stuff and like they're super pumped and super excited. And like, to me, like, that's like, oh, that's a project that I want to be involved with. That's a project that I wouldn't mind owning a piece of because they, it wasn't just like, here's a drop of, you know, you know, you, you saw a bunch of like, um, a bunch of derivative punks come out, right? Like yeah, in January, like that it was CII punks. Yeah, like all, all just these sold things. out finally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like you saw like a bunch of these derivative punks, punk projects that Dang it was just punks. kind of They're like awesome a cash punks. grab, right? So it's like they weren't building anything around them, but like the communities that have built stuff, you know, the the ones that come to mind to me right now is uh, 
the crypto baby punks and the board of Yapa, where like, you know, there is like a vibrant community around them where they're interacting with each other on Twitter. Their discords are like, you know, fully alive, right? Like where just because you're not first, right? Like, and you're not, and I, I put punks at like the top tier, but like, you know, just because you're new, it doesn't necessarily mean like it won't have any value, right? Like, will I ape into like every uh, project that comes out? No, but like I'll wait and I'll just, I'll start seeing like if I like what the community is about, like how they're engaging, what they're doing, right? Uh, and then it's like, to me, I think it's like a better risk reward to get involved in something after like you've let the community develop a little, right? And then you have other communities. So you have creator communities, mm-hmm. but then you have kind of these hybrid creator communities and collector communities. So you have Flamingo Dow, which yeah. I think was the first kind of like group of collectors of NFTs coming together to to pool funds to mm-hmm. purchase these assets. You have Jenny Dow, um, which is similarly buying assets. You have K21, you have B20, mm-hmm. you have uh, People Pleaser and Pleaser Dow, mm-hmm. you know, Universe XYZ. Like there's just all these now you know, collective communities of people like who want to pool funds and buy assets right. that are cool to them. Right. And, and you, you'll see, you've seen it already where, um, you know, there, there are people banding together to buy things, even like at Christie's, right. Where like the Christie's and Sotheby's where these things is like, you know, most people, you know, what is, what is the population in the world that can afford to spend, you know, 15 to a hundred million dollars on a piece of art is very small, yeah. but what is the population in the world that will, that can band together and say, Hey, I want to own a piece of this. I can't afford it all on my own, but I'm willing to contribute X amount. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what the beauty of, of all this is, right. Is like, you're allowing like, you know, ownership across the board and kind of like, especially with art, right. Is like art was meant to be shared. Right. That's why like artists make things, right. Not to be in an involved in Switzerland. Right? You know, it's an airport somewhere. Or, yeah, exactly. Right, it's some sort of freeport around the world. Yeah. It's done so that people can can see them and experience the beauty that you know the artist wants them to see. Yeah, and I think that's a cool thing. You know, like people people bash NFTs is like, oh, I can just copy paste this, or like you don't really own the metadata; you just own the transaction hash. And I think I think that's okay, right? Like, I think actually it's better that the art can be experienced. Like I actually don't agree with, um, I think it was Charlie bit my finger was like, now you're seeing memes get sold as NFTs. And I took that video down. Right. I'm kind of like, I actually don't agree with that. Um, maybe there are instances where it's like the metadata should be secret and private, but like if there's a piece of internet history that you want to buy, it should be shared with, with, you know, with the world. And like, it's okay if people know that you are the owner of that, but like, I don't know, but I guess who am I to judge? We'll see a bunch of different models coming out. There's a museum of crypto art that just relaunched and like people will put their works there. There's these different um, NFT indices that I think you, you've participated in, I've participated in mm-hmm. that pool assets for people to come in and swap in and out and help create price discovery for these things. So, so I, I think we're nearing or maybe even have gone over um, an hour, which is, you know, all good. This is what happens mm-hmm. when you're in person. I'm not watching it a lot. But I want to get to kind of your latest work mm-hmm. and, you know, the fund that you launched with the Delphi Digital Guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, like, maybe just like, what's the thesis of the fund? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are you most excited about going forward in the NFT space? Okay, cool. Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the thesis of the fund was basically like, 
as I kind of been leading up to this point is like, I want to invest in the infrastructure that will help NFTs proliferate in the future, right? Yeah. Like I think that NFTs are going to be way bigger than just, you know, JPEGs on chain and that pretty much everything will be coming on chain at some point. So all that infrastructure needs to get built now, which yeah. is why I was like, you know, like I've been angel investing in a bunch of things and I was like, all right, like, you know, let me take this to the next level. Right. Because like, to me, like the big difference between 2017, 2018 and now mm-hmm. is that tech is getting built, right? Like at the end of like 2017, 2018, you know, the end of the ICO cycle, I wasn't sure like if this is all They're like really smoking. Here. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like people were writing white papers and raising millions of dollars. And I'm like, you know, what's to stop you from literally just like disappearing, right? And many did. And many did, you know, yeah. but now it's like, I see something real. I see tech being built. I see people that are like actively building in the space. I'm like, this to me is real. Like if I were to think about this in relation to the dot-com bubble, I think right now we're in like 2007, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the ICO boom was the 90s and the 2000 bubble burst. And then, you know, that's, you know, out of the early 2000s, that's where we got Google, Facebook, Amazon, the way we know it today, like all these. Even, even, even the rebirth of Apple. Yeah. Right? You know, like, yeah, it came in like the early 2000s, right? Like, yeah. and that was all, those were the builders in that, in that bear. And like, to me, it's like, you know, that two year bear market that we had, that's where the builders were building. And now it's like, okay. I'm going to invest in this and like, okay, maybe it's not ready today, but it'll be ready within the next six months, 12 months, maybe faster, right? Like people are actually building the space. Like to me, that's like, oh, this is real. Like this is not 10 years, 20 years away. This is knocking on our doorstep, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what got me really excited. I'm like, you know, I was talking to the Delphi guys and, you know, they see the space very similarly. So we're like, you know, let's just do something together, right? Like let's, yeah. uh, let's pull our resources and, and figure this out because, you know, there's massive upside in the future. So that's kind of like how we ended up with the, with the NFT fund. Uh, where I see the space going is, you know, I, I think everything's coming on chain. Uh, I think, like you said, is there there are issues that we're going to have to deal with, especially like on the legal side and recourse and, yeah. and contract law and all this stuff. But like the beautiful thing is like a lot of it can be programmed in, right? Like, you know, you have you know, if then statements that are like, if this happens, then this happens. Like that's the beauty of programming. Right. And then on those gray areas is where, you know, you'll probably have to have social norms step in and social contracts and stuff like that. But eventually, you know, especially as things are more digital, right. Um, it's easier to have things more programmatically uh, launched and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, that makes sense for sure. And, you know, I know you guys, you've been personally super active, investing in a lot of these projects, not just the art itself, but in the infrastructure that's being built. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the, the internet comment reminded me, I did want, I did want, um, you to share just like briefly, cause like your, your entry into crypto mirrored your entry into the equities markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just like to add credibility, further credibility, not that you need it, but like to your ability to, tr- to identify trends early. What was like your best equity trade? <laughs> um, yeah. So this is, this was my best trade ever probably up until a couple months ago when I bought, you know, punks and a couple other NFTs. Um, in, in 2003, I was interning in the city uh, and in New York city and I was on the subway 
Now yeah. we just dox. We know where you're from now. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you can tell, think you can tell by my accent anyway. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It's the city for sure. Sorry, so, San Franciscans. <laughs> so I was on the subway and, you know, I'm going to my internship and uh, I realized, and at this time, the, the MP3 market was massively fragmented, right? You know, you had like every, every company out there had their own MP3 uh, device. And I noticed on my commute that everyone had these white headphones in their in their ears and i was like whoa i'm like looking around everybody like the majority of the people on the train i'm like you know it was the original ipod right yeah and this was literally the rebirth of apple so at the time like you know i go i've been following the market for 10 years of the point. i started following the market really young and so i'm like all right like i'm gonna buy like my thesis is you know that these things are going to take off because everybody's using them and you know they're going to become really popular and I bought Apple, I don't know what it is for the Justin now, but I bought Apple mm-hmm. calls uh, for 62 cents a share. And then I sold them, I bought as far as I could um, for a double. I bought the $20 calls and I sold them for $49 a share uh, within like, wow. I think it was at most 24 months for probably, around probably 18 month period. And that was like my my best trade ever uh, up until this point where I was like, oh, like this was like, a massive super cycle obviously i didn't know how big it would be but it, it was literally just me noticing that this makes sense and you know consumers will want something like that and it may just be like intuition so you might not be able to vocalize it but like what feels what similarities are you seeing here with this cycle um i think part of it is uh just knowing that you know when i when i talk about nfts yeah. when i talk to anybody over the age of 30 they have a hard time understanding it. When I talk to anybody under the age of 18, they get it instantly and are like, how can I do, like, where can I do NFTs? Like, how do I get involved? Right. Yeah. So like, just knowing that like you have this massive consumer, like NFTs will have the least adoption and understanding today, like every single day that goes by. And as more and more of the youth becomes a consumer that spends money, they're going to be totally okay with like a totally digital native asset yeah. and ownership over it, right? So it's like the super cycle is there, right? Like every future consumer is going to be okay with digital ownership, yeah. right? So like to me, that's like, that's a massive super cycle. And I'm, yeah, I, I'm in total, I agree 110%. I mean, they already own digital assets and I like, I'm excited for a world where like it's less 2D, you know, mm-hmm. like, where there's more connection between the digital and the physical. So maybe it's like an AR overlay on your existing physical world or like maybe VR starts to feel more like the real world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that could be dystopian or it could be utopian depending on how you think about it. Um, So, okay. Before we, before we drop, show us your, your favorite NFT project right now that maybe nobody would know about. Disclaimer. This is not investment advice. I mean, I, are you talking about collectibles or collectibles? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think you can't go wrong with anything on our blocks, especially okay. like the old school stuff. Um, Chromey squiggles, I love uh, singularity. I love on on our blocks. I, like like I mentioned before, is like I think the stuff that's that's happening in the Discord of like Board Ape Yacht Club. Uh, crypto baby punks. Okay. Like they're building cool things, right? And mm-hmm. like there is a lot of a big sense of community and like morality that's going around there. Uh, I think what Beanie's doing with uh, the punks comic is really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw that. That was you super know, cool. And I think he's like implementing elements of DeFi 
uh, into it, right, with the staking mechanisms and the burning mechanisms to, you know, kind of help people understand a little bit about DeFi, even if they're coming from the NFT side. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I like... I, I, I'm going to get a board ape after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably buy some more. But yeah. Fill before show. Um, all right, man. G-Money, thank you so much for coming on. All right, appreciate you. you. Thank you. I appreciate this is you. great. Yeah, yeah this is awesome. Is, uh, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners are going to have a lot to to unpack here and we're going to try to drop some stuff in the show notes. Where can they find you um, if they're, you know, if they want to continue to follow along with your story? And Yeah. So the more. best way uh, I'm the most active on Twitter, G money NFT. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. Although mm-hmm. my, uh, my other socials I'm, I'm lacking a little bit, but uh, oh, bro. yeah, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm most active on Twitter and cool. you know, like my DMS are, are always open. So I'm, I'm always, uh, chatting with people and stuff on there. Awesome. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media. My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly Newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in. And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.